Welcome to Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited and Costa Five Rivers program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Emerging is about enabling the young angling community to drive progress in the fly fishing industry and the conservation of the places we love to fish. My name is Joseph Burney, and I'll be your host along with Andrew Lafredo. For this episode, we got a chance to talk with another one of our Five Rivers students, Rachel Brinkley, to talk about her experiences as a leader at her club at ISU. We hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is episode 11. Pretty exciting. Um, We have a great guest on this episode we have another one of our great five rivers members we love them they're the best and rachel's been doing some amazing things uh at isu um welcome to the podcast thank you so for people who who don't know you do you mind giving a nice little introduction Sure thing. So I have been in the Five Rivers Club for now about six years, actually, I think, five maybe. Um, I did my undergraduate at ISU studying fisheries biology, and now I'm wrapping up my master's degree um, looking at sockeye salmon populations. Awesome. That's super cool. Um, So you started the club at ISU. what led you to do that? Yeah, so I was enticed by all the cool free things <laughs> that you get as being totally. part of Five Rivers. <laughs> the mind of a college student. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then after that, it seemed like a cool way to get involved with other, you know, fish people all over the country and have been kind of invested ever since. Yeah, and... That's, that's super awesome. And I think that there's a lot of commonalities between people who want to start clubs and community and free stuff definitely are two great, uh, incentivizing factors. Um, but to, to backtrack a little bit, um, so how did you get into fly fishing and conservation in the first place? Yeah, I actually was first introduced to fly fishing by taking a beginning fly fishing course here at ISU. Um, And so got credit for it, got to go out and go fishing, and thought it was awesome. Um, And I had, I kind of had a little bit of a backwards journey, I think, into fly fishing and conservation. I was studying biology and studying fish and fish diets. And then decided to fly fish. I feel like usually it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I'm super pumped because UGA now has a fly fishing class. And it's like a freshman only class. And mm. I've gotten to help with that a little bit. And it's super fun because all these people are, are like, well, I fished before. And honestly, this class sounded fun and easy. So I took it and little do they know that they're about to get hooked and sucked into <laughs> fly fishing and forced to join the five rivers club. Um, <laughs> but exactly. yeah, totally. Um, and I think it'd be really cool if more 
universities had that opportunity for students because mm-hmm. even if you don't have trout fishing around you like in Athens we don't um I mean catching like bass and uh carp or all those other fish on a fly rod super fun yeah. um so <laughs> moving back I feel like I'm leapfrogging <laughs> jumping around but um with your ISU club um you started it how, did you start it with some other people? How many members, uh, like, did your club have at the start, and how's it how's it grown? Yeah, so we were pretty fortunate in that we had a pretty um, strong American Fisheries Society group on our campus, yeah. and that was the group of individuals that were wanting to become fisheries biologists. So, kind of a little bit of a different perspective, but fishy folks nonetheless. Um, and so we started the Five Rivers group in conjunction with our American Fisheries Society group. So we started out with about 12, um, and now I think we have closer to 30 or 40 members in our group. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. So what, what activities in a, in a non-COVID time, what, what activities was your club doing um, on a normal basis? Yeah, so we had some fly fishing clinics with our group to introduce people to fly fishing, um, as well as just regular meetings at a local pub just for fellowship so people could tell fishing stories and check in with each other. Um, And then our big event that we did every year is actually not a fly fishing event, but our big fundraiser was an ice fishing derby that we hosted each year. Sweet. (laughs) So how how has COVID affected affected the club yeah so i'm sure like you know clubs all over the nation and uh, we weren't we're not meeting in person anymore we still have had some kind of social get-togethers but outdoor and distanced and keeping small numbers that's great um it's good to see that um clubs are still able to find ways to have that community during covid it's definitely been really tough and trying to engage people via social media and online is, is tough when the, the thing that you have your community around is a, is a community event and, and passion that people like to share together. And that's cool that y'all have been able to um, meet in small groups and do stuff like that. So a little more about yourself. Um, I think it'd be cool to, to hear a little more about um, what you've been studying and why you're in school and your in your research. Yeah, so my research, like I mentioned, is focused on sockeye salmon populations. So in Idaho, our sockeye salmon have declined by over 99%, which is pretty devastating. Um, historically, there were runs of maybe, it's estimated 25,000 fish, um, but we've had less than 100 for the past, you know, decades. Um, and so my master's degree is aimed at trying to better understand why these changes have occurred and exactly how many sockeye used to be in Idaho's lakes. Yeah. And are you focusing on any specific watersheds um, with that research? 
Yeah, so my research is occurring in the Sawtooth Valley, which is um, Redfish Lake, named after the redfish that used to be there, the sockeye salmon, Mm -hmm. um, as well as lakes in the surrounding area. Cool. And interesting uh, connection to another podcast there is I remember Chris Wood, when he came on, talked about Redfish Lake being, he read about it in... Um, the newspaper, I think it was. And that's a really neat connection that I'm just kind of making right <laughs> now. Of That was one of the things that influenced him to become a conservationist was the declining uh, sockeye population uh, and those fish that were no longer traveling to Redfish Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, some Larry. Yeah. What have you found so far in your research that's causing this, this event, or I know it's um, what could have caused this traumatic decline Mm -hmm. in, in sockeye populations returning to Redfish Lake. Yeah. So Idaho salmon are part of the Columbia river watershed. Um, And there are seven hydroelectric dams between central Idaho, so Redfish Lake, and the Pacific Ocean where they migrate. Um, In the Columbia River watershed, dams are the principal factor driving the loss of salmon. And I think that's that's the case for, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the case for most um, trout and trout. salmon runs is dams are are pretty much the major issue with those uh, fish getting back to their native spawning grounds. Yeah, so it's a certain proportion, I can't tell you what it is off the top of my head, but is lost at each hydroelectric dam. So then when you have, you know, seven, that's pretty detrimental to a population. Totally. And I think one misconception is that um, – dams are blocking salmon from coming back from the ocean, which is true. Um, that definitely plays a role, but there are um, salmon fish ladders and things like that that have been put in to, to kind of help mitigate that. The real problem with dams is actually the out-migration. So juvenile salmon just face upstream and float down to the ocean Um, And that process used to take about three days, but now you can imagine what happens when they hit a big reservoir with predators and there's not flowing water. Yeah. Um, And that's a huge problem. And most of those predators are invasive too, Rachel, right? Like Northern Pike, stuff like that, smallmouth bass. Correct. Yep. That's super interesting to me because I would have always thought that the, the upstream migration was the, the major issue because if you think of a dam it's like all right there's this massive piece of concrete in the way of a salmon getting from where from the ocean to this lake and mm-hmm. but and you would still think even with a fish ladder that you lose a little bit of fish because of that because not all of them are going to make it through um but that's an interesting point and something i i would have never really thought about um and that's that's super interesting Yeah, and another, so, I mean, it, it is problematic when they're coming upstream as well. Like you mentioned, they're just kind of facing a concrete wall. 
Um, and they're, it increases their migration time. So, right, they're waiting below a dam, which, again, increases the likelihood they would be exposed to predators or hot water or disease or things like that as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors at play. Yes. So I don't know if you, you have the answer to this question, but what mm-hmm. effect is, has there been like dam removals elsewhere? Um, and is there any proposed dam removal in, in that watershed to help this, this issue? Yeah, so that's this is good timing, kind of hot off the press in Idaho salmon news. <laughs> um, so there was a dam. There's been a few dam, large-scale dam removals. Um, one of which is on the Elwha River um, in the Pacific Northwest as well, and they've seen increased salmon returns. Um, there's been a lot of contention and conversation about the dam removal in um, the Columbia River watershed for Idaho salmon. And just two weeks ago, um, Idaho's representative, um, Mike Simpson, proposed breaching the dams. So he developed a $33.5 billion plan to remove those dams. So pretty exciting news and kind of just within a week of hearing about that. That's amazing. And I think that if we give, we've found in a lot of places that if you give the fish a chance, that they tend to bounce back um, pretty mm-hmm. healthily. So, yeah, so salmon are super resilient, um, right? They've existed for years making this crazy migration. They just need a river without concrete walls in it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, so is would that make... Would that make uh, the salmon uh, or the sockeye salmon your favorite species of of fish? Is you've spent so much time. I mean, it's like if you. My thing is like, I eat a lot of Chick Fil A, and we talked about this before we got on. But even though I eat so much of it, I still love it. But there's other things that if you eat a lot of it, you're like, no, I don't. I don't really. <laughs> I don't really care for that anymore. Um, so that was a really roundabout analogy to get to whether or not sockeye salmon is your favorite species of trout and salmon. But ironically, I think that my favorite species is actually bull trout, which does like eat sockeye salmon babies and is somewhat problematic. But I think bull trout is my favorite species. It's a really pretty fish. Absolutely. They're huge, too. Yep. Except for the ones that they caught on the Odyssey. Yeah, exactly. The, the micro the micro bull trout. Little pop, <laughs> little pop bull trout, yeah. Yeah. Joseph was just trying to figure out a way to sneak in Chick-fil-A in a request for I just want I just want them to sponsor the podcast and give me more free Chick-fil-A. It's so good. PR people at Chick-fil-A, please reach out to Joseph for inquiries. Yes. <laughs> Good Lord. Anyways. Um, so what you live out in Idaho, um, mm-hmm. some of the best fishing in the world around there. Yes. Um, what, what's your favorite, favorite place to, to fish without sp- spot burning? I guess I got, 
I got hit hard with a spot burning comment on a Zoom call earlier this week. But, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, Idaho definitely has some of like the best trout fishing waters ever. I mean, anywhere. Um, but I'm actually like a high mountain lake advocate. So I like backpacking and working very hard <laughs> to catch fish. So high mountain streams and alpine lakes is definitely where I like to be. Any, any great stories associated with some of those backpacking trips? Ooh, I mean, there's some good ones and some bad ones. Let me think. <laughs> um, I think something that just really stands out in my mind is I have a friend who had tried for like seven years to catch a grayling, like very diligently had put in a lot of miles um, and had, you know, done extensive research on how to catch a grayling. And then, we had backpacked into this lake in the Pioneers, um, which is one of the highest mountain ranges in Idaho. Um, and he, like, we didn't even know that there were grayling in there. And he just, like, chucked out a Chernobyl ant and caught, like, the state record grayling without even expecting it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's incredible. And, and on this fish that, on this fish that he'd been chasing for so long and first cast there it is first cast first fish yeah <laughs> and are they native to the pioneers rachel or were they introduced they're not they're stocked for recreational fishing right on so is that where they they either backpack those fish up there or drop them from a plane Yep, so I've worked for the Forest Service for the past few summers and have backpacked many a fish in. But yeah, they usually bring them in a backpack. So what else do you hope to get into post-graduation um, once you finish your master's? So I definitely want to continue to work in native fish conservation. Um, I want to help to protect Idaho's fish populations. For DNR or... I guess fish and wildlife is more common word out there um, hmm. or more private uh, nonprofit work. I'm pretty open. I think that private nonprofit work is where I would like to be. Um, but I'm definitely open to working for the state or federal government. Like I said, I've worked for the forest service for a little while and have absolutely loved it. So pretty open. What did you do? Do you hope to stay with Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, um, you meet, briefly mentioned that when you're with um, Parks and Wildlife that you were backpacking fish. What else mm -hmm. were you were you doing working for them? Yeah, so I was a fisheries technician um, for the Forest Service, so worked in many different aspects of recreational fishing and fisheries conservation. Um, and I think the highlight of that job was every year we would do raft um, Chinook red surveys in the middle fork of the salmon. So pretty prized water deep in the Frank Church wilderness. I would float it multiple times a year to look for Chinook salmon that are spawning there. And all this time you're getting school credit for this? So that's actually separate. That was, I was just like a summer job outside of school. Gotcha. Yeah. 
still sounds like a great summer job. Yes. <laughs> so how is the salmon doing too, Rachel? Um, you kind of cut out. You're saying, how are the salmon doing? Yeah, in the salmon. The salmon yeah. Yeah. So like I said, the um, sockeye salmon have declined by 99%, and they migrate up the Salmon River. But in the middle fork of the salmon, with the Chinook like I was talking about, um, they've had very dramatic declines as well, but not quite to the same extent. But they also are listed um, on the endangered species list. And there's been some recent publications that have been put out that say that they're going to go extinct in the next 20 years without some dramatic intervention. That's crazy. Definitely not, uh, not good news. Um, so do you hope to continue to work? You said you kind of touched a little bit about your desire to stay with native species. Um, are you hoping to mostly do salmon again, more salmon work, or are you hoping to do, uh, other native trout and other species in Idaho? Yeah, I would really like to stay with salmon. Um, that being said, oftentimes salmon conservation requires working with lots of different species in the state as well. Yeah, like darters and all sorts of things when you improve habitat. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Rachel, we're putting out this film uh, here soon uh, in conjunction with the F3T. Um what do you hope people take away from your story and um, coming out in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, you know, I hope that people think that it's pretty eye opening to see, you know, exactly what state Idaho salmon are in. Um, and also to understand how important it is that, you know, programs like Five Rivers are to empowering college students and the impact that the young people are having on this field. Yeah, totally. How can, you know, you kind of touched a little bit about uh, Five Rivers students and hoping that people take notice of young people caring about these complex issues. Um, how can, you know, one, a local, let's say Idaho State student be able to get involved and how would somebody, let's say in Joseph's position, in Athens, Georgia, be able to, to help with uh, spreading that message? Yeah, um, I think the first thing is definitely to just inform yourself about the issue. Um, and then there's a lot of avenues in which you could reach out to Idaho's political leaders, um, which is really important right now since that plan for dam removal has been proposed. Um, so yeah, reaching out to political leaders, being involved, being informed. Um, our Idaho State Group has created a separate Instagram account and platform um, for fundraising for this issue. Um, and so we're selling some merchandise and things like that as well to help raise money for local indigenous and nonprofit groups that are working towards dam removal. That's cool to hear that collaboration that the club is having and the effect that y'all are having on these conservation issues. It's super cool to see, see college students, like you said, let people put people on notice that we care 
and we want to see this place uh, in our waterways better than we found them. And I think it's really, really, really cool that, that y'all's club is doing that. And I commend y'all for that. It's, it's really, really impressive. Thank you. So Rachel, like what are the next steps uh, in Idaho for this, this massive spending bill to remove the dams? Uh, I mean, $33 billion is a lot of cash. <laughs> so, it absolutely uh, is. <laughs> and how is it kind of being received? I guess. Um, you know, I am so deeply involved with the conservation community that I know has been received by my group of people, but don't have a great perception of how it's being perceived by the broader public. Um, I know that those that are invested in conservation and that are fishermen are, of course, excited about this. Um, I do know that there's obviously concerns about what that means for communities of people who are working with dams or living on those reservoirs and things like that. Um, but this, the plan that was proposed is so expensive because it's pretty comprehensive in, you know, providing the communities that need extra support, the support that they need. Totally. Um, so does this, uh, go to vote in the house that this, this it was, um, it's in the house, right? Or is it a Senator? I think that there's still a ways from that. I think that this was just kind of the first stab at a comprehensive plan to remove the dams and it needs a lot of fine tuning before it moves on to being approved. And, and has this been getting, I know Pebble mine got a crazy amount of attention and it definitely should have. And I think mm-hmm. that that was a, that was a big win for conservation for salmon populations have we seen kind of some attention nationally move towards this this really intense problem that's occurring with the salmon popula- populations in Idaho um, you know, I don't think it's gotten the same amount of attention. I think part of that is it was kind of a slow buildup to it, right? The salmon have been declining over the past 30 years, as opposed to pebble mine is going to be a dramatic thing that happened at like a given time. Yeah. Um, I think that it's equally as detrimental to salmon populations, but because of the way that it's happened, it hasn't gotten the same amount of attention. And I think that the proposed dam removal will get more attention, but again, we're kind of on just the very introduction of that. Yeah. And to get a more, I guess, comprehensive picture of the situation, what, what is the other side saying, uh, about that could be opposing the removal of these, these dams? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a few different things involved, right? The first is that they are hydroelectric dams, so um, they provide some power um, and water for irrigation, things like that. Um, The dams on the Lower Snake River were originally built for navigation purposes to northern Idaho, um, but then they did shortly after build a railway right next to the river that would allow them to transport goods to northern Idaho. Um, 
there's a really good documentary of Patagonia made called Damnation um, that does describe the issue in a really digestible way. Um, kind of lost my train of thought, but <laughs> um, but yeah. So one contradiction is that they are providing power, um, although that could be replaced with other means of power. And then the other is that dams are you know providing jobs, and that there are communities that are kind of you know, their lifestyle is revolved around the way that the dams are currently operating. Yeah. And as well as I'm, I'm also thinking that wheels are starting to turn here, Mm -hmm. but what about those populations uh, of fish that exist in the reservoirs? Because if you remove the if you remove the dam, that water is not no longer being held in a reservoir. Um, what what happens to to all those fish? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it depends, right? Invasive species that have been stocked there could potentially go downstream, right? The chances that those fish would make it in a free flowing river um, is pretty slim. You know, you think about bass for example like warm water and yeah. if they were to just then be rushed into the columbia river they probably wouldn't do very well um so you would lose some fish but for idaho and the pacific northwest it would likely be non-native fish the value of those native salmon uh are definitely in my mind a higher value than like I guess this this is also from the perspective of someone where like where bass are native to mm-hmm. me, but like those bass can wash down the river and freeze in the Columbia for all I care, and I might get in tr- <laughs> I might get in trouble yeah, for that. <laughs> but um, if it brings back the salmon population, that would be a really good uh, risk reward situation. This is hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I watched I watched Stephen A. Smith this morning, so I'm full of them today. <laughs> Hop up on sweet tea and Stephen A. Smith, inspiring. Oh yeah, inspiration. Well, <clears throat> Rachel, uh, that's that's all I really had. Uh, Joseph, any final questions? That's um, one. I don't I don't have any more. Um, I was really. It was really a pleasure having you on. And I, I think that we mentioned a lot of resources that are available to, um, to learn more about this. We have the film coming out uh, with F3T, um, and that'll be a really great resource for people to learn more um, and hear a lot more about this and in a, a visual means of consuming it. Um, but you also mentioned the film by Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, that explains the issue well. And, um, where can, where can our listeners find, uh, find y'all on social media and, um, ways to get in contact and involved in this issue? Yeah. So the, like I kind of briefly mentioned, our club has made that separate social media page dedicated specifically to this issue. Um, and our Instagram handle is red river co red is in a salmon red, not like the color red. So it's R E D D river co. Nice plan um, words. 
And then, you know, there's other nonprofits that have great resources like Idaho Rivers United is kind of a primary resource that I like to direct people to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we had a lot of people asking to have some more Five Rivers people on, and mm -hmm. I am super excited that you're able to come tell us about all your salmon. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me.